and Talk. Hello and welcome to Grow Up and Talk. Uh, this is Alex LaHue and I'm a pastor at Messiah Lutheran Church. We believe that eternities are changed when Jesus followers grow up in their faith. And one of the best ways to do this is to read God's word and talk about it. And we're here to encourage each other in the process of doing that. And we're using the three-year Bible reading plan through Messiah Lutheran Church. Uh, Some like to call it the five minutes a day for three years reading plan, but we all know that it still lasts for three years. Um, And today on the show, we have with us Laura Biles. Hey, Laura, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Happy to be here. Awesome. Hey, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, so the people listening know who you are. Hmm. Okay. Um, actually, I'm a charter member of Messiah Lutheran back when we were known as the Closet Church. When uh, <laughs> every Sunday we would bring all of our uh, uh, items out of a closet at the community, what was then the community center, and uh, our folding chairs and have service and then put it all back in the closet after service. Yeah. But it was a robust family group. We, we, we all became extremely close. Um, our children grew up and went through confirmation together. And in fact, the women's Bible study group that I'm still currently um, attending, well, virtually, we'll, we'll start up again yeah. on Sunday evenings, was a result of our children being in confirmation classes. And so while they were at confirmation, the women, the moms got together and we would have our women's Bible study group, like I said, which is uh, continuing today. Um I actually uh, grew up Methodist okay. and, and through friends. Um, and I mean, I was, and that was fine. Um, I, I, I attended, but I don't know. I just didn't have that fire, I guess, in the belly kind of feeling. And yeah. actually as an adult, uh, was introduced to to the Lutheran church and it created a monster in me because it mm. actually, uh, answered questions that I had had previously uh, yeah. that I just didn't feel like I had gotten answers for. So suddenly I was I was excited and taking all kinds of new classes and became um, I got to skip the uh, confirmation ritual and got to be confirmed as an adult. So <laughs> uh, you know, and I and I'm just I'm just so thankful that. Um, my children have continued in the church, and as you know, um, it's kind of come full circle with uh, Courtney coming back and actually being uh, the director of the preschool. So yeah. it's um, it's 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 been um, it's been a good ride, and I'm I'm happy to be here. Awesome. Well, let's keep uh, journeying on with Jesus together, and right. um, today we are going to cover the readings from June sixth all the way to June twelfth. And this entails Joshua chapter 3 to 10. So as always, we do a quick overview of what's going on in these chapters. Uh, Laura, did you want to do the overview or did you want me to go through that? Well, I can can start it and you can fill in any of the blanks. All right, that sounds good. Okay. Um, This starts out where now Israel, the people of Israel, are going to cross over into the promised land. And Joshua has now, well, the torch has been carried from, you know, Moses now to Joshua. And so under his leadership, he's now going to lead the people across the Jordan River. Um, He... um, God tells Joshua that that he's supposed to drive out all the seven nations of the Canaanites. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be what I thought was interesting, too, is it's a new generation of people, the ones that were wandering in in the desert for 40 years. This is now a new generation. So um, as as part of God's covenant, he's. He's telling them to be circumcised on the other side mm-hmm. and and a new a new promise that he get not a new promise, but a confirmation of the promise. Right. Um, and so um, it's a story of Joshua's leadership with the people and how they conquer these different nations. And there's some road bumps along the way. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as there always is with yeah, God's people. Yeah. <laughs> um, so where would you say the first road 
bump is in this whole uh, journey to the promised land? You know, it, it at first, everybody is fired up. They are following them. They have set memorials with the stones both in the river of Jordan and then on the other side. Mm-hmm. So far, they're, they're following all of his his instructions well the second the um i think it was the second battle of i i believe it is ai yeah yeah i ai ie there's all sorts of ways uh that people call it i go with i um okay it's short and simple you know yeah too many vowels (laughs) um so (laughs) the sin of one man Yep. Uh, God had 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 told Joshua to tell the people that all the spoils were basically going to go to the treasury of the tabernacle. And they they there was one man that did not. And he hoarded a couple of things. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was interesting how they went through the process to discover who that person was. And um, it was, needless to say, a strong reminder and a warning against disobedience against God. And it, it made quite the impression on the people. So that, that to me, was the first major road bump. Yeah. bump. Um, and then they, they um, the, those people were actually burned. And mm-hmm. well, he was anyway, he, he was and he was burned in stone for his offenses. And um, thankfully now, I mean, I know I'm jumping ahead because this kind of gives you New Testament reference. But thankfully now our offenses are that we we confess and that we ask for forgiveness instead of being stoned and burned. <laughs> <laughs> thankfully. <laughs> um, I mean, Joshua. um Rights on stone, the law yeah. of Moses. That that rededication was, um, I thought that that was a, a a major point in the whole reading of how they go back to basically what Moses had laid out, and I thought it was interesting the symbolic nature of he wrote on stone the mm-hmm. law, law of Moses. Yeah, um, they had another road by. Uh, road bump with the the Gibbonites yeah that, that tricked them to make a treaty with them to right. not destroy them and <laughs> it worked uh, out for for them um <laughs> it, indeed yeah indeed um of course they they also became their servants as a result of it right their trickery but um again you know it, it's it's God telling us that you know we sometimes we judge things based on appearance and and uh, we're supposed to consult with him first. And right. oh my, how many times do we do that? Yep, yep, uh, yeah. And and then the sun stands still when they're they're. Yeah. Uh, I think there's like five kings that uh, say, "Oh, Gibeon has uh, made peace with Israel, and we don't like this. Uh, it's going to lead to our own destruction." And so they uh, form an alliance together, like five kings. And uh, they try to take over the city of Gibeon. Uh, that does not work out for those kings. And that's <laughs> where uh, uh, the sun stands still. And there's like ha- hailstones that come down and and uh, kill most of the army. And the rest um, the Israelites take care of. And, and those kings are ex- executed. And then it kind of wraps it up with uh, some other areas and cities that God gives to the Israelites, uh, through, uh, battle. So right. yeah, way to go. Uh, that was a, a great summer. There's a lot of stuff going on in these chapters here. Yes. Um, so what in particular, and there's a lot of things, but what, what are the, the particular things that stand out to you when you read uh, this part of Joshua? Well, there's several things. Okay. Um, one, one that I that I liked a lot, and and I like, I, I guess because it's reassuring to me. But throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, God assured in in this instance Joshua and us to not fear, mm-hmm. but be strong and trust Him. And and I mean, 
Um, on a daily basis, I have to tell myself that because I'll go wandering off and thinking, well, I got this figured out. Oh, yeah, sure. Right. And and, you know, and God says, hey, wait a minute, put on the brakes a little bit. You got to trust and obey, trust and obey. And I think that's um, a mantra. And it, and I see it a lot through Joshua because the consequences of them not doing it are are, are critical in their and and um, what happens to them, uh, like I said, thankfully now we we come back to the Lord and we confess and we repent. And then um, also that God always keeps his promises. Mm-hmm. He promises this is what's going to happen. And at Jericho, I mean, they, you know, I'm sorry, if I were part of that army and somebody's telling me I'm supposed to walk around this this <laughs> fortified wall for seven times blowing my horn and this is going to make these massive walls crumble i think i would have taken a double take and joshua going yeah right i mean uh <laughs> how, you know but he says i promise you this is going to happen mm-hmm. so again we just um we have to believe in god god's promises his promises are true he shows us that throughout the old and new testament and we have to walk in faith and that was a good example i mean you know seven times on the seventh day and the seven times around and the, the seven horns and lo and behold as he promised yep. the walls crumbled yeah yeah, I I think that's a good point that you bring up is that, you know, God commanded them to do very strange things, uh, <laughs> things that don't make sense to our kind of that human nature or to our reason or our logic. You know, it's not logical to uh, seize a, a city that's one of the greatest cities in all the land and really well fortified. By walking around the walls, um, it doesn't make sense to uh, bring the Ark of the Covenant, which is one of the most precious uh, artifacts in your worshiping community and your worship life, to bring that into a river where you're barely your your chin <laughs> is barely above the water. And uh, it doesn't make sense to do that, and yet uh, God works in those things that don't seem to make sense to the Israelites or even to us today, and yet he still um, is, he promises that he's, he's working in all of it. Uh, so I think that's a really, a really good point, um, that it takes a, you know, God asks for faith, and he wants us to trust him even when it doesn't make sense. Exactly. So, Exactly. Yeah. What else um, stands out to you um, in this uh, uh, portion of Joshua? Well, um, that God can use all things to his good, yeah. obviously. Um, and, and there's a benefit to that going along with the, the promise theme. Um, I thought it was interesting that well, and I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but that it was 40 years to the day mm-hmm. from the Passover that they crossed from the Passover, the original Passover and the crossing the Red Sea that Joshua took them over the Jordan yeah. and the par- the parallels between that. And it, and it just reminds me that, you know, there's no coincidences. There's no accidents in God's world. Right. Uh, everything has everything has a purpose. And um Quite frankly, I'd kind of—I guess I'd forgotten about this. Not that I hadn't read the story on on numerous occasions, but that it was forty years to the day. You know, that's that's not a coincidence. Right. That was by design, and um, I, I thought that that those parallels with Joshua writing on the stone, the law of Moses, that the water ceased, and that they're holding up the ark, and in the middle, like you said, or on the dry ground. I didn't understand the significance of the um, the stone monument in the middle of the river. Because okay. I'm, think, I'm thinking in my logical mind, well, that's going to get washed away, but okay. Yeah. Uh, Let me see. Where did you see that? That is in the early 
chapters okay, when they yeah. were when they were first crossing probably in three when they were yeah. first crossing the river and they put they made a monument a stone monument in the middle of the of the river as well as on the other side in Gilead I believe it's right. pronounced yeah. um, and that's where they uh, were recircumcised and so on and but I I didn't quite understand I mean they wanted to to I understand they wanted to note the actual location of where they crossed the, the Jordan River, but I'm I'm just kind of thinking in my logical mind, oh well we have floods and you know, and okay. that's gonna make those yeah. stones go down the river. Okay, I think I figured it out. Um so it looks like it's in chapter four. It says in verse nine, and Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan in the place where the feet of the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood. So I'm assuming at that point, um, the waters have seized. Joshua is able able to walk out uh, in the middle of the place, and so he he kind of marking the spot at that point. And then it says. Uh, in verse 19, the people came out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. Verse 20, and those 12 stones which they had took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. So it's, I don't know, it seems to oh, me like maybe. Um, yeah, it, it's, I mean, it's a real small detail and it, you could pass over it really quickly. I didn't even uh, think about it. Uh, but I, th- I believe that they are taking the same stone that they had marked, and once oh, everyone had gone out, which it seems like it, you know, it definitely took a long time for people to, <laughs> for all yeah. of Israel to cross through the Jordan because they're all crossing in one kind of almost nearly single file, and uh, there's probably. I don't know, at least a half a million of them at this point. I know the old generation has died off, but, you know, some scholars uh, believe there's about, there could be up to a million or two million who came out of Egypt. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, so there's probably around a half a million. Uh, they probably dwindled out a little bit um, with the old generation dying in the wilderness, but there's a lot of people and they're almost going single file. And so it probably took a really long time. And so these rocks are standing there as a significant, uh, maybe as a signifier that, yep, the 12 tribes of Israel are crossing through this place right now. And then Mm -hmm. they use those stones because I'm guessing they probably took those stones from the bed of the Jordan River, set them up in a particular place. And I'd have to look this up more in more detail, but probably took them from the bed of the river, set them up in the middle where the the ark was and then took them out and set up that memorial because those rocks came from the place that they had crossed over came from the ground that God had uh, enabled them to walk through that he had dried up so that makes sense yeah it looks to me like uh they um because it says they are there to this day so well that makes sense so people it would have wasn't... to yeah well, people would have to go back and if and reference, you know, I think it's meant to be a, a memorial. It's meant to be referenced and seen with their own eyes. And it even talks about, you know, the children asking, what what do these stones mean? Um, so, sure. yeah, that's what I think is going on there. Um, well, that makes sense. I was thinking it was two different memorials, but what, right. that makes sense. It's probably the just the one. They right. had it set up in the dry land, and then they took it with... I missed that. Okay, right. I got you. Yeah, so I'm looking at my study Bible here, and um, I probably should have looked this up uh, earlier, oh, but it says... You. Yeah, it says... <laughs> <laughs> it says in, in, uh, for the note on verse 20, it says in verse 8, these stones were laid down there. Now Joshua set them up as a memorial. So, anyways. Mm. Yeah, so that's what it looks like, and... Um, yeah, so there we go. That was something okay. that was confusing, but then uh, we kind of looked a little bit more closely and uh, figured something well, out. There you go. Could you also give me a little bit more explanation on Joshua five thirteen? Okay, that's that's the sword drawn 
angel, um, the oh, armed yes. okay. host of God. This is really um, important, actually. Um, okay. Okay. Um, so, uh, actually, a, a good for our listeners, a good source, uh, a good resource to use is always, a, you know, a study Bible. But a, another place that I go to that does a really good job of of overviewing books of the Bible and mm-hmm. has an artistic way of, of telling them through videos um, is the Bible Project. And uh, they have cool. summaries of all the books of the Bible, and they're like short six, seven-minute videos. And there are some series like the first five books of the Bible, which are often called the, the Pentateuch. Um, they have special series about that, and they have different series about different themes in the Bible and uh, special series on Luke. So um, I, I sometimes use those videos and I actually show them to confirmation students um, just as a resource. And so um, and this is and, and, you know, they're using a lot of research to kind of put together these videos but what that video says and what a lot of scholars talk about is this commander of the army of the lord um and a lot of times in the old testament you see this phrase uh, the angel of the lord and many people believe that uh, you know the word angel just means messenger uh, so it's not uh necessarily you know, I guess we have descriptions of what angels look like, but just because the Bible uses the word angel doesn't mean that it's necessarily an <laughs> angel as we envision it. It just means it's some kind of messenger of the Lord. You know, like when Jacob wrestles with God, we mm-hmm. commonly believe that that's actually God in human form of some kind wrestling with Jacob, even though it says the angel of the Lord. And so a lot of people believe that the angel of the Lord is a pre um, new Testament appearance of Jesus, the son of God. And uh, I'm led to believe that that could be what's happening here. Um, It's the commander of the army of the Lord. And so um, the big question here, this is actually really important and really key to the entire book of Joshua because he's asking the commander, who are you for? Are you for us or are you for our enemies? And the commander does kind of that. He, he gives kind of that Jesus answer. So that could be more <laughs> evident, you know, that this is a, a pre new Testament appearance of the son of God. Um, he says, uh, I think he says neither. What does he say exactly? And what does my Lord say to his servant? He says, yeah. take off your sandals. Right, exactly. And so that but, leads you to yeah. believe that this is God appearing uh, kind of uh, in in this uh, human uh, appearance that uh, Joshua can comprehend uh, with his own eyes and his own reason and senses and, and all that. And so that brings us back to the point when God appears to Moses in the burning bush. And so mm-hmm. it's just the nature of God to appear to us and to come to us in ways that we can understand and that we can experience as humans. And so I think that's what God's up to. He says, uh, the commander says, no, but I am mm-hmm. the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped him and said, you know, and so it's clear that this isn't just, you know, this is a a significant uh, person. And so we believe that it's God appearing to him. And he says, neither. I'm not for you or the enemies. And so the question for Joshua is, and the people of Israel, it's taken me a long time to get to this point. But here's the point is um, (laughs) that. It's not a question of, are you for the Israelites or for the Canaanites? It's a question of, are you going to be on God's side or your own? Yeah. Are you going to be, are you going to follow God or are you going to follow your own way? And that is a huge theme. Uh, Even in Deuteronomy, as they're preparing to enter the land, God is always saying, you you know, follow me, don't worship other gods, don't act like the other nations do, because you're going to be tempted to. Uh, this is why God wants to wipe out uh, many of these nations and these peoples, because he doesn't want his own people to be corrupted 
by the influences and practices of these other nations because he wants his people to be holy, which means set apart. He wants his Mm -hmm. people to look like him, to reflect his image. Um, That's what God wants for us. That's Mm -hmm. why he appears to us. That's why he speaks to us. That's why he works on us. And here is the key question of the entire book and that we kind of take into our lives today as well. Are we going to be for God? Are we going to serve God? Or are we going to serve something else? Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's the old Bob Dylan song that says, You're, you you got to serve somebody, right? And um, <laughs> it's true. You're, you're, you're either going to, you know, he says, I think he said, like, you're going to, you'll either serve the devil or you're, you'll serve the Lord, but you got to serve somebody, which is very true. Jesus even <laughs> says, no one can have two masters. Right. He either serves God or serves money. And here, the angel, the commander of the Lord, which I believe is the son of God appearing to Joshua, is saying, you're either going to serve me or something else. Which is it going to wow. be? And uh, even, I think it's, I think, yeah, it's when, uh, maybe in uh, Exodus, when they get to the promised land for the first time, and it's Joshua and Caleb, who are the two spies among the group of 12, that actually mm-hmm. say, no, we need to we need to actually go into the land, and we need to actually take it over, because it, it's going to be okay, God is giving us this land, when the other 10 are saying, no, we can't do this, and that's why God sends them on this big, long journey into the wilderness, because they disobey God's command, and they're they're afraid, uh, but Joshua mm-hmm. says, "Choose for yourselves whom, uh, like on this day, whom you're going to serve." Maybe he says that at the beginning of this book, but uh, I thought he might have said that the first time that they um, got to the promised land, and uh, he said, "As for me and my house, we right. will serve the Lord." Um, right. Yeah, and I think, yeah, and then. That's I was gonna say, isn't that in the latter part of Joshua? It might be. I'm gonna look it up. It's always Google's it's... always the friend. Yeah. <laughs> it uh it's is. It's Joshua in Joshua 29, 24, 24 verse Oh, okay. Um fifteen. Yeah. yeah. Um it's written on my rafters in my house before we put the sheetrock up. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, so I think actually I was mixing some things up there, so I apologize. Um, but, um, it is at the end of Joshua. So actually that even furthers the point of the significance of chapter five and the arm, the commander of the Lord's question or answer to Joshua, because at the end of the book, Joshua God is taking Joshua and the people of Israel on this journey. And what's the concluding statement of the book? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So he answers the question at the end of the book. And mm-hmm. um, and that's really, you know, because when we read these books of the Bible, we should definitely read them as like a book in and of themselves. Um, and we can definitely, you know, use other passages. But, you know, when we're looking at a book like Joshua, if we read it in the way that it's written, which is a narrative, then you're kind of asking yourself, okay, what's the theme here? You know, like when you're, you were in grade school and your, your, your (laughs) teacher taught you how to read uh, literature and Mm -hmm. um, teaching about, you know, the plot and the theme and all those things. Yeah. We apply those same principles to when we read God's word. And the theme here is, who are you going to serve? So I'm glad you brought that up. And uh, that did stand out to me. Um, it also gives me great hope as well, because God is always active in our lives. And he's always, um, he's always coming to us and, and wants to uh, interact with us. Well, and that was, um, oh, let me see if I can find it. Joshua 310 okay. even refers to him as the living God. Yes. So that goes right with what you were saying. Okay, I have another question. Then. All righty. Um, there was, and I was looking at the uh, Lutheran Study Bible, and they said, and I don't have the the. Um, I have the, the Lutheran Study reference. Bible in front of me. Oh, good. But it was talking about the correlation between Joshua and Jesus. 
Yes. Do you want to address that one? Yeah, sure. And and that kind of covers, you know, we t- often talk about, you know, does anything give you great hope? And, you know, something we try to demonstrate a lot on this, on Grow Up and Talk, is the idea of, you know, taking especially the Old Testament stuff and pointing to that New Testament uh, stuff of Jesus. Because mm-hmm. we believe that the, the Old Testament points to Jesus and the New Testament often refers to back to him um and so you know we see this with moses as well but uh joshua is described at the beginning of this book as a new kind of moses and jesus is you know moses and joshua are god's spokesperson um who who dwells and lives with his people and interacts with uh, them and um you know, gives God's word and Jesus is the word of God made flesh. And so he is, Jesus is the perfect prophet of God, um, the son of God who walks with the people who pleads and mediates on their behalf, which is exactly what Moses and Joshua do. And he leads God's people uh, in the ways of, of serving and following God. So Joshua definitely uh, I mean, we see this with Moses, with Joshua, even with King David, um, and really any of the prophets uh, like Elijah, you know, um, mm-hmm. they all are pointing to the day when the perfect prophet or the perfect king or the perfect priest will come. And that is Jesus, the Messiah. So uh, Joshua is definitely um, someone who reminds us as people who were living uh, post-Jesus' earthly life um, for the first time, uh, it reminds us of Jesus and and, uh, reminds us that we remember as we read that, oh, yeah, here's what's going to come eventually. Uh, Right now, God is giving his word and his promises to the people through Joshua. He's soon going to do that himself by walking on the earth himself uh in jesus so yeah yeah good good yeah Yeah. um let's see uh something else oh yeah something that stood out to me was uh you kind of referenced this earlier was kind of the parallels you know um the crossing of the jordan is parallels Mm -hmm. uh the crossing of the red sea um the hailstones that fall down in the battle of uh, Mm -hmm. I think, oh, it was when uh, the Battle of Gibeon, where the five kings are trying right. to wage war against the Israelites and the Gibeonites, because the Gibeonites and the Israelites are now cool with one another, and uh, they don't like, the other people don't like this, so they're battling them, but God is raining down these hailstones, and even making the sun stand still, and yeah. to me, that I, I immediately jumped back to um, the plagues of Egypt. So there was a plague of hail that fell down, or like fire that rained from the sky. So like, you know, some people think of that as, you know, big giant hailstones that are coming down. And clearly something similar to that is happening again. Or at least uh, in the very basic sense, God is manipulating and uh, controlling creation um, in a very uh, clear way, not just to the Israelites, but also in the land of non-Israelites, which is similar to what happened in Egypt. Um, and also, um, let's see. Uh, yeah, that was in chapter 10, I believe. Yeah, yeah it was. And uh, the commander of the Lord's army that you referenced, it uh, kind of brings back to mind when, uh, you know, like you said, the commander said, take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. So that brings to mind uh, the interaction between Moses and God in the wilderness with the burning bush. And um, and even in uh, when he's at Mount Sinai interacting with God, uh, I think there you said there was some part where Joshua wrote on stone the law right. of Moses. And, and that's a lot of law, by the way. Uh, we typically think of the law of Moses as the Ten Commandments. But, the, you know, the law that God gave Moses on Mount Sinai includes the Ten Commandments and all those things that we see in Leviticus. 
<laughs> oh so, my gosh, yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot, yeah. So um, it is no small act to write down the law of God, uh, especially on stones. And um, But that brings to mind the parallel of when mm-hmm. God wrote his law on stone, gave that to Moses, uh, went on Mount Sinai, which we typically know as when he gave him the Ten Commandments, but it's also when he gave him all those laws that are detailed in Leviticus. And so there's a lot of parallels here, which is often a theme in the Old Testament books, especially Deuteronomy that came before Joshua, where God is always pointing his people back to their roots. Here's where you came from, and here's what I did before. And they these Israelites they weren't there when a lot of those things happened in the time of Moses. Mm-hmm. However, they heard the stories because in these times people were, it was a very, uh, like stories got passed down and they were told orally. Um, people would, you know, that's how information got spread. And then eventually people would write some things down and that's how we get, you know, our books of the Bible. Cause Moses wrote a lot of these things down. Uh, God commanded him to, but um, they would have been hearing the stories of the crossing of the Red Sea, of the plagues of Egypt, of uh, Moses receiving God's law, and now God is doing those very similar things. He's just continuing his work, but he's also doing it in a little bit of a different way, because it's not like the Jordan River just split. The Jordan river stopped flowing at a part that is more north and then so the water just kind of subsided because it says that it built up in a heap so it wasn't like a regular split like the red sea but it's still similar to that it's just different so there's a lot of similar things but that are still new and different and that's kind of what god that's the character of god you know like he he still speaks to us um, through his word, um, you know, he speaks to us through Jesus, who's a spokesperson, and that's kind of what we talked about with Joshua. It is similar to Joshua and Moses, but it's something new as well. And the Passover meal, it you know, communion, what Jesus institutes, he, yeah. he creates something new, even though it's very similar to what has been done. And God, he's still doing stuff like that today in our lives, so... Oh, absolutely. And I like the fact that that well, it struck out to me that Joshua writing those the law of Moses again on a stone gave it permanence. Right. Um, You know, it's a memorial uh, Mm -hmm. of such. It's it's showing that it's it's just more than me writing it on some, you know, leaves or something, whatever else they were writing on, but it just is something that's permanent and this is going to go with us. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, there's so many parallels and, and the fact that, uh, you know, the covenant that they had and the promises that they had in the Old Testament, of course, now we have with Jesus, with baptism and, and communion. And so it's, it's the same promises, the same message in in so many ways right but it it comes to us in a different way and exactly um, but it, yeah the parallels i think are striking in, in the old testament through the new testament i mean it's just you know sometimes they're glaring at you <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly um another thing that you know often gives people concern um well, one thing that gives people great concern about the book of Joshua is all these conquests. And uh, <laughs> this is something that, you know, comes up a lot. Yeah. People say like, oh, you know, how is, you know, God ordering like genocide and that kind of thing. Now, some people might say like, oh, uh, you shall not, you know, leave anything that has life in it. Um, uh, you shall not, you know, you should have no mercy, mm-hmm. in other words, uh, just take the animals and all that. So some people might say, oh, that's hyperbole, which is just an extreme, you know, uh, way of communicating to kind of indicate a point. Now, there are there are times where, you know, like I, they completely destroy I. It's just yeah. everyone is, is killed. Um, and, and God is very clear in why he's doing this, because the people in this land are 
doing wicked things. And God, Mm -hmm. the theme is God hates sin. He hates evil and he wants to protect his people from these things. And um, so he he's getting rid of it. And it might seem harsh to us. Uh, It might appear that way on the surface, but you know, uh, we don't have to explain God or defend him. Uh, God can do what he wants and he is enacting his justice in a very um, severe way. And I would argue that this actually witnesses to the other nations around them which influences them at times to repent Uh, you see this with the example of Rahab so you know Rahab and her family are spared the Gibeonites while they go about telling the Israelites that oh we live really far away we're not in the land Uh, and that's a lie that's a lie however in their lying God still has mercy on them he mm-hmm. still allows them to be servants. They say, oh, because you've done this, you're only going to serve the house of the Lord at being woodcutters and water drawers or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but it brings to mind for me, I would rather be a doorkeeper at the house of the Lord than dwell in the tents of the wicked. And, exactly. Uh, yeah. And so we still, even in the midst of all the killings and all the conquest, which God is just in doing that, um, I think that's important for us to remember that we don't deserve anything from God. He still is offering his mercy. He's still offering his, re- his the, um, he's still doing all this because he wants people to turn and live. He doesn't desire the death of the wicked, but that they would turn and live. And this is what we see with Rahab and her family and with right. the Gibeonites, I think. so. Well, yeah, there was definitely grace there. Yeah. Um, and that's another thing. Uh, we'll, we'll actually, there's another point I want to get to with the application section. But is there anything else that uh, stands out to you or that was... Um, confusing to you or anything that gives you hope before we go on our break here? Well, I think there's a, I think there's a tremendous amount of hope. I think you just addressed it even with Rahab that, you know, there, God's mercy and grace is there um, as we repent. Um, I think that it, it just, it shows what I'm, what a loving God that we really do have and that he, he wants us to trust him and to believe in his promises and and not take, you know, the bull by the horn, so to speak, yeah. on our own. He wants us to follow in his path. And and of course we we fall from that on a regular basis, but he he picks us up, dusts us off if we're repentant and confess and move forward. Mm-hmm. And I just think that that's such a tremendous, tremendous hope. Yeah. Um and and a reassurance and um you know how many times through the bible does god tell us in jesus in the new testament be strong and courageous that was um chapter 10 verse 25 that i outlined and i i thought be strong and courageous and that's it because i think we can uh, you know fear a pandemic we can fear uh, a work-related uh thing we can yeah. fear a neighbor we can fear so many things we can fear ourselves of ourselves and crawl under a rock somewhere and yet that's not how he wants us to live. He wants us to be strong and courageous and, and move forward in him. That doesn't mean you go out and, you know, you're ruthless. It means right. just to seek his will first. In fact, he even um, with the Gibeonites, he, he said, um, you know, you didn't consult with me first. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we, you, you based and judged things on the outward appearance and, Mm. and you didn't consult with me first. Yeah. Well, you know, we're all kind of guilty of that. And, (laughs) um, and we, and then, so it's, you know, it's nice to be reminded that we have a loving and forgiving God that we can go back and go, Oh, oops. You know, (laughs) I, I, I'm, what do you want me to do here, God? And, and sometimes those answers are, you know, in neon lights and other times they're not. But again, that's, he said, you just trust me. You just got to trust me. My, my timing is perfect. Hmm. Yeah. Amen to that. Amen. So, uh, <laughs> hold on to that thought. We'll, uh, I'll, I'll dig a little bit more into that, uh, when we come back from our break.
Hey, welcome back to Grow Up and Talk after a short break, uh, which tends to come after we are four-fifths of the way done with our podcast. I don't know how that ended up working out, but that's the way that it is. We already talked a little bit about something that uh, I personally dug deeper into, which was uh, who was this commander of the Lord's army. Uh, We talked about how that's probably uh, the Son of God appearing to Joshua there, similar to the story of God wrestling with Jacob. Um, So let's go into the application of of this uh, part of Joshua. So, Laura, how do you see this section of Scripture having importance to our lives today? Well, it, again, I, I feel like I'm, I'm repeating myself somewhat, but it, it's it's reassuring to me that it, it's, first of all, it's saying that God is in control mm-hmm. and he's given us his promises and he's telling us that we are to love, trust and obey him. And in, in the New Testament, we get his grace through this. And so that that is a recurrent theme that I found um, in, in Joshua and he, and he's telling us to be strong and courageous to, to go forward, um, holding his hand. Um, if, if we, we, we revere him, we fear him and we honor him and obey him, then we're going to reap the benefits of his love and grace. Right. Yeah. He definitely, um, he gives us these instructions because he knows what's best for us. And, Hallelujah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it, it might seem really restrictive to us a lot of times. I know that's a big argument, uh, you know, against Christianity. Like maybe what kind of God would give you all these rules? It just seems very, you know, right. harsh or whatever. Uh, but as we've seen in our journey through the Old Testament so far and in Joshua, you know, um, we got to keep in mind what these the lives and, and and the lifestyle that these Canaanites were actually living. You know, they were engaging and uh, they you know they were having sexual relations with all the people in their family and doing all these mm. these things. They were uh, sacrificing their children because yeah. they believed that that somehow appeased uh, the gods uh, that they worshipped. Uh, they worshipped many gods, but they didn't you know ever see any evidence of that. Um, yeah, so God is, 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 he doesn't want his people to be involved in those kinds of things, which don't uphold marriage with, which don't uphold, uh, the, the preciousness of life and, uh, which don't reflect his character. And, and so God's giving them these, these laws and instructions for their own good. Uh, so I like what you said there. Is that you know this is <laughs> there are benefits that we we do reap um, from obeying God. Now we may not always get to see those benefits immediately, mm-hmm. or we may not understand. Okay, where are the benefits? And you know, bad stuff's still going to happen to us. Jesus makes that sure. very clear. However, He reminds us that okay, these restrictions. It's because living this way is the best way. Um, right. so I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad yeah. that you repeated yourself because it reminded me of that. So, well, I've, I've had, I have conversations with God and one recently that I had was God, thank God you're in control. That's mm. the good news. Yep. The bad news is you're in control, you know, because, <laughs> because how many times do we want to take the remote control out oh, of his yeah. hand? And, you know, we say, oh, I got this one figured out. And then, you know, you stumble on a rock and you're going, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. Yes, thank you, God, that you are in control and you've got this. And especially when we don't have a clue what's going to happen next. So, um, yeah, I'm glad he has a sense of humor. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely um, a journey of reliance. Uh, But we remember that God walks with us the whole way. So the last thing that I want to emphasize that I think is uh, really, really stood out to me and kind of goes along with uh, some of what you were talking about, Laura, is you were you you mentioned a few times in our in our conversation together this idea of, you know, we regularly ask God for forgiveness. We regularly repent. And in fact, 
scripture revealed to us that this is an everyday kind of a thing. Uh, God is a God is a one day at a time kind of God. You know, Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Um, And and so he he really wants us to um, to live in the moment, I think, knowing what's guaranteed for us in the future. Kind of what you were saying, knowing what's that he is in control the whole way. Uh, But it's this idea of examining ourselves and every day kind of looking at ourselves and, and saying, all right, who am I serving today? You know, mm-hmm. is there, what do I need to repent of? Uh, you know, how, how maybe have I, I strayed from uh, the kind, the, the best way to live that God lays out for me or calls me to do. And I want to uh, bring our attention to two examples that are kind of contrasted with each other. It's this idea of um, the, I guess the one person's actions influencing the whole family, the whole household. So first you have the story of Achan who Mm -hmm. steals stuff uh, from the city of Ai that he Mm -hmm. shouldn't have, or or no way. I think he took it from Jericho, but his, the result, the consequence of it came when they were trying to defeat Ai and it didn't work. Right. right. So he took the devoted things and hid it. And, um, it, you know, they kind of, uh, went through this whole process of revealing who it was that, that committed the sin. And then he confessed and it says that they took Achan and uh, his, all of his sons and daughters and all of his animals. Um, And this is a little small detail. Okay. It says, uh, you brought trouble on us. The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. And here it says they burned them with fire and stoned them with stone. So it goes from stoning him with stone to burning them and stoning them. Uh, So it goes from a singular to a plural. And so I'm led to believe that his family was included. His family and animals were included in that. Contrasted with the example of Rahab, when they take over Jericho, they don't just say, go find Rahab. They say, go get Rahab and her entire family and bring her here. And so I think it's important for us to look at that and and, and think about what we talked about earlier in chapter 24. At the end of Joshua, it gets to the point where Joshua talks about, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. So God really cares about uh, family a, a Christian family being holy and set apart to God, devoted to him as a whole family. And when one person in the family isn't examining themselves, isn't, isn't saying, you know, how am I, who am I serving today? How am I, how am I repenting? Or, or, you know, going through that, that daily um, act of, of relying on Jesus, then it influences the entire household It influences right. the entire family. And so, but it starts with us. We start with ourselves um, because Joshua at the end says, choose for yourselves, choose for yourselves this day whom you're going to serve. And mm-hmm. so I really think that that's, that's really the uh, point of emphasis that I see in these two examples. And then what comes later is every person has to ask themselves that question. Okay. They have, right. you know, I'm examining myself. I'm looking in at my own heart and my own mind and how am I serving God and uh, how, am, how am I serving God today? How am I doing that? Or, or you know, what do I need to ask for forgiveness for? Or what do right. I need to repent of? And, and so I think, you know, that's really important even today. It was important back then. It's still important to God for us to examine and look at ourselves first, right? Before right. we're we're going forward with anything, yeah. So and and where where can we glorify Him? Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Awesome, Laura. This has been a great conversation. I've really uh, enjoyed talking about the Book of Joshua uh, with you, and I so think it, I. Yeah, the Bible has really come alive uh, to me personally in our conversation. So uh, really appreciate that, and. Um, 
I just have to ask you the random question because we always ask a random question at the end of the show. <laughs> and I told you, you wouldn't know what this question is. <laughs> so, uh, Laura, there's a lot of things going on in our world today and in our community and all that kind of stuff. I am craving a vacation. So my question for you is if you could only vacation if you could, whenever you go on vacation for the rest of your mm. life, if you could only go to one mm. particular place, so for the rest of your life, you had, if you went on vacation, you had to go to that place, what would that place be? Oh, my goodness, because I have two loves. I mm. love going, I love to go into the mountains, but I like going to beaches, too. Uh, can we, can we combine them? Sure. <laughs> a mountain with a beach on the top of it. Yeah, no, no, maybe down at the bottom of the hill. Oh, okay, got it, got it. <laughs> Actually, I, I, you know, there's not too many places I, I haven't in, well, no, wait a minute, I can take that back. Freer's never, Texas has never been one of my favorite places, but I've hunted down there on numerous occasions. <laughs> I, I, I love, love, love being at any place outdoors. I really haven't, you know, I'm, and I'm being in the hill country is great. Um Golly, that's kind of a lame answer that I just gave, isn't it? I don't think um, it's lame. A, a, a mountain, mountains with like, you know, a cabin on the mountain with a beach oh, down at the yeah. bottom of it. That's very unique. That's very unique. <laughs> you know, I think you can get that in Hawaii, kind of. Perhaps, you know, it might yeah. be a volcanic mountain, but... True. Um, <laughs> True, yeah, or Costa Rica, yeah. Costa Rica, have you been to Costa Rica before? I have, I have, and it's it's beautiful, yeah. So yeah, there's there's places like that, and I I do enjoy it, but I um I really don't want to leave Texas. (laughs) That's okay. So Texas is um, a very different landscape and and living area than the Midwest. Um, than Missouri. And so it's, it's taken me a while still to get used to that. Um, but whenever I go somewhere in Texas, other than the hill country, it always helps me realize how much I actually like living in the hill country. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I just think the weather is nicer. The views are much more uh, beautiful you know, right. because in a lot of areas, it's just very, it's just very flat. And uh, I, mm-hmm. I, wherever, you know, when I live somewhere or when I have like even my office, you know, or whatever space that I work in or live in, I really like it to have a lot of character. Um, so I really enjoy the character and personality of the hill country, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, Absolutely. Um, but I'm not going to vacation in the hill country. Um, I where think would be your spot? My spot. I'm gonna be this guy, and uh, I'm gonna say Disney World. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, you I know. know. Wow, and that is a great place too. <laughs> uh, it is. It's. They say it's the happiest place on earth. Although I know that uh, it's happy for the people who pay money to go there. Um, I don't know how all the, I know there are lots of workers that probably enjoy working there, but I mean, let's be real. Um, so, um, but I, I just enjoy, uh, being in, in Disney world, um, and Disney world itself has a lot of different parks and places. And is it a little fake, you know, is it put on? Is it? Yes, it is. Um, but you know what? I have an eternity to enjoy the new heaven and the new earth. And uh, <laughs> Disney World's not going to be there. I, I just, I'm sorry to say, I don't know if it's going to be there. But um... <laughs> uh, well, then, yeah, when they open back up, that should be one of your destinations. I'm sure Jax would love it. <laughs> oh, I know he would. He he's getting up there to uh, the age where you know they can actually remember mm-hmm. those things, and um, he is he's he's a big kid. Um, I don't know if you know physiologically he can actually handle some of the rides that he qualifies for height wise. <laughs> but, um, I would, uh, yeah. So I, am if we take him to Disney world, I'm going to be checking with the doctor first, uh, to see if, uh, maybe I can, you know, s- swing some of those, uh, more intense rides. But, but generally speaking, most of the rides at Disney world, uh, 
he'll be able to go on. So, yes, yeah, I would love yes. to uh, get out there sometime. Uh, that would be very memorable. So, <laughs> Well, and then speaking of Texas, it's vast and wide, and it's quite a variety of topography, and we have yeah. everything from mountains to beach here, too. So there's a yeah. lot of things for you to explore. Yeah. I it just, just have takes to a long, find it, the time. It takes a long time to drive there, yeah. Oh, yeah, in your spare time. In, in all my spare time. Very good. Right. Uh, well, uh, to our listeners, you can email any questions you might have or comment to grow up, grow up and talk podcast at gmail.com. And uh, as always, thank you for listening. And Laura, thank you for coming on the show and talking with us about God's Word today. Absolutely. My pleasure. All right. We will see you next time. Peace.